So today we're coming to the last sermon in this exposition of 1 Peter. So I'll ask you to please find 1 Peter chapter 5 in your Bibles or, or on your Bible app if that's what you're using. And we'll read the passage together in just a moment. Um, in the first part of chapter 5, Peter addresses the elders of the church. And so I'm actually using this opportunity to launch a, a very short teaching series on biblical eldership. And I'll explain why in a few moments. But I'm using this last message in 1 Peter 5 to launch this series because, uh, specifically because Peter exhorts the elders of the church in the early verses of chapter 5. So let's have a look at the text now, 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while... The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The day was August 16th, August 15th, rather, 1986. Jamie Allison Leno was born that day, and uh, we were filled with excitement on that special day, and it is the 15th, not the 16th. But just before we left for the hospital, my wife gave me a list of last-minute instructions. First on the list, don't forget to pick up my mother at the airport. <laughs> Second, bring my white dress when I'm ready to come home from the hospital. Third, Make sure the sinks and toilets are clean before my mother gets here. <laughs> and last but not least, don't forget to eat. Last-minute details, all of which were very important, some more important than others. As we come to 1 Peter chapter 5 today, Peter is ready to sign off and say goodbye, but not before he gives some last-minute instructions to the church, all of which are very, very important. For one thing, Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility. 
an important last-minute instruction before he signs off. Clothe yourselves with humility. Verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So Peter begins with this short statement directed to young men, but then he says, all of you, every single one of you, young or old, men or women, all of you, without exception, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why is that? Well, quite simply, because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. You look in the Old Testament or the New and you will find, you will discover over and over again that God opposes the proud. He hates pride. It's one of the seven things that is an abomination to the Lord. He just hates it. He stands opposed to pride and to proud people. But it also says if we humble ourselves, then God will lift us up in due time. He will exalt us. He will honor us. He will favor us if we humble ourselves. And so that's what Peter's saying, you know. Oh, one more thing. Before I sign off, humble yourselves, cast all of your anxieties upon the Lord, and he'll look out for you. He'll watch over you. He will care for you. And then next on the last minute list is this. Maintain your vigilance. Verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So, about this we would say that belief in the sovereignty of God and trust in the fatherly concern of, of, of our Heavenly Father does not permit us to sit back and become apathetic or uninvolved, complacent. We need to stay at it. We need to, to, to be self-controlled. We need to, to be alert at all times. We need to be watchful. Because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking those whose guards are down so he can chew them up and spit them out. That's, kind of, that's what he does. That's who he is. And we can't afford to be complacent about this. We need to resist the devil. Like, don't panic or run away. You don't have to. He's defeated. So we don't have to, we don't have to be afraid of him. Uh, we need to stand up and fight and be firm in the faith. Put on the full armor of God. Ephesians says, and trust in the Lord. Make no mistake about it. Satan is a dangerous foe, but Jesus is a friend of sinners. Satan is a great pretender, but Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Satan is a, is a liar and, a, and an accuser of the brethren, but Jesus is full of grace and truth. Satan is a troublemaker, and Jesus is a peacemaker. 
So you see, we, we really need to be on guard and, and watchful at all times because the enemy is the slew foot. I mean, he is so crafty. He would just, he, and he's defeated. I mean, he's defeated. His days are numbered, but he'll take as many people down with him as, as he possibly can. So we need to be watchful. We need to be vigilant at all times and, and be aware of what he's up to. And then concentrate on hope. That's also on Peter's list of of instructions, last-minute instructions. Concentrate on hope, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, not if, after you've suffered a little while, and, and most people who follow Jesus encounter persecution and affliction and suffering, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace... The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Isn't that good news? That, that, this is the gospel. And to him be the, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter closes off on such a positive note and reminds us that God knows what he's doing and, and that God is in complete control. And, and, and according to his timetable, he will restore us and he will confirm us and he will strengthen us and he will establish us after we've suffered for a little while. So the God of hope can, can fill you with joy and peace and your life can absolutely overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is entirely possible, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, persecution, a bad diagnosis, or your head plugged so full of, of sinus cold that you can't actually hear if your mic is on or not. <laughs> hope. This whole series has been called Full of Hope. Would you say that your life is full of hope? I mean, if, if your life is full of Jesus, if you have Jesus in your life, then you, you really do have a life full of hope. If you're living in him and abiding in him and, and, and living, let, letting him live out his life in you and through you, you have a life full of hope. Our hope does not, does not rest on the skill of the surgeon. Our hope does not depend on a grade point average. Thanks be to God. Our hope does not come from the Royal Bank of Canada. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. That's where our hope, He is our hope. So we need to concentrate on that source of hope. Now let's circle back quickly and consider another important last-minute instruction from Peter. Going back up to the, to the head of the chapter. Verses 1 to 3, he exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock of God. Beginning at verse 1, he says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. And then comes the command, or the exhortation. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's the primary verb of the sentence structure. So that's the, that's the primary focus of this passage. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. 
That's the command he gives. That's the exhortation. And we might ask, well, how? The, the participial phrases that follow explain or modify that, that main part of the sentence. <laughs> you thought you, you graduated from grammar in high school. Well, here we go again. We're just visiting it again so we, we understand the scriptures a little better. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. How? By exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So, so he gives us some really vital information here on, on what elders in a local church are supposed to do. Now, at this point in our newness as a church and in our early development as a local church, the gathering has not yet appointed elders. We don't have a council of elders yet. I mean, uh, the church has grown so quickly and the other needs have, have expanded so quickly that we haven't, we haven't got there. It's, all, it's kind of always been on the back burner. Now we're trying to bring it up to the front burner and pay, pay it some more attention. If you guys would just stop inviting so many people and so many people would stop coming to the church, then I'd have time for this. But first things first, right? We focus on the people. But we need to organize this and, and get this into place. So, so we have a plan. We, we have a plan to appoint biblically qualified elders in the days ahead. And, and, but we're taking our time to get this right. Is that okay? We want to get this right. And we're taking our time to get this right because I think we all know what happens in a church when you, when you lay hands on people too hastily uh, and appoint them or elect them too quickly, and, and they're not qualified. We, we understand what happens when, when that happens. Uh, so we want to follow the Bible in this process. We're, we're studying the scriptures together. We're trying to understand what the Bible teaches about, about elders. We want the elders of our church to follow a biblical model of eldership and not some man-made policy or some denominational format. We're really trying to just let the job description for elders at the gathering rise out of the pages of Scripture. What a, what a novel idea, right? Just, just let the, the job description that, that is contained in Scripture be the job description for the under-shepherds of our church. And, and I don't know why I haven't seen this before now, but uh, I've been digging in and studying hard, and, and God's been teaching us some, some wonderful new lessons. We desperately want this position description, the, the whole idea of eldership to rise out of Scripture. And, and this particular text in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we're looking at this morning tells us some of what elders are supposed to do. They, they shepherd, and they oversee, and they lead, and they care for the flock of God. That's what they do. That's what elders do, according to 1 Peter chapter 5. They they, they pastor the church, elders do. That's what they do. They shepherd the flock of God. That's what they do. So therefore, uh, we should view the elders of our church as, as shepherd elders or pastor elders, not, not simply as uh, business decision makers or, or CEOs or executives or advisors to the pastor. I mean, a lot of modern-day 
elder boards are set up that way, you know? So they elect a treasurer, they, they get some guy on there who's good with finance, and they, they get somebody else who's good with administration on there, and they get somebody who's willing, if you twist his arm hard enough, to visit the sick in the hospital. And, you know, it, it just, and they meet once a month. Once a month, they come together and try to run the church. Once a month, three hours. Don't go overtime or I'm out of here. And I'm going, oh my goodness, that's not what we see in the New Testament. That's not what we see in the scriptures. So 1 Peter 5 uses very specific shepherding language. And so we need to ask ourselves, okay, as as shepherds of the flock, what do elders do? If they're shepherds, what do they do? They shepherd the sheep. Well, it's obvious, but for one thing, we could say that shepherd elders protect the flock. They protect the flock. A major part of New Testament elders' responsibility or job description is to protect the sheep from false teaching and bad theology and sheep in wolves' clothing. Okay? Paul says to the elders at Ephesus, for example, in Acts chapter 20, Keep watch over yourselves and over the whole flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers in which you tend the church of God that he acquired with his own blood. So that's part of it. Protecting the church. Watch over yourself. Watch over the flock. Keep watch. Protect the sheep under your care. Defend them if necessary. Safeguard the church that Jesus bought with his own blood. It's precious. I mean, this this entity that he's given us, the local church, is a a powerful entity. It's it's an important one, but it's also a very personal one because Jesus paid for it with his own blood. And we need to protect it. And then Paul writes to Titus and says in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Then in verse 9, he says, An overseer must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that, for the purpose of, in other words, that he might be able to give instruction. There's there's teaching again. There's, There's feeding. But in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So there's a, they, they're protecting the flock by giving good instruction in sound doctrine and rebuking those who contradict it. He uses the words for elders and overseers interchangeably here. So elders are overseers and overseers are elders. And, and it's very clear what their job is. Their job is to protect the flock. I remember many, many years ago and in, in a couple of, couple of churches ago that we served, there was a, a young gentleman who came in under the influence of some rather radical teaching. Uh, I'm saying out in, to, to my right, but definitely to your left. Way, way, way out to the left. And uh, we loved on him. And he, was, he, came, he became part of our church family. And we loved on him until, until he started to teach this radical, extreme teaching that he, he was involved in. And the elders met with him once and said, you know, this is not from Scripture. And we had a Bible study and showed, tried to show him from Scripture where, uh, you know, where we were coming from. And uh, he refuted that and continued to teach in his sphere of influence this um, aberrant theology 
uh, false teaching. And we met with him again a second time and, and exhorted him and encouraged him to stop teaching this. And we met with him a third time and said, look, if this continues, you are going to have to leave our church. We are not going to expose the sheep, the flock, to this false teaching. It, it is false teaching. It is not from Scripture. And you are not welcome to teach this in our church. He continued, and so the elders asked him to leave. They were protecting the flock. That's what they were doing. Were they hard-handed, heavy-handed? No, they were protecting the flock. And sometimes you have to make some tough decisions when you're protecting the flock. But the thing is, they followed this course of action. And before they took it to the church, they met with him several times to ask him, to plead with him to stop. Furthermore, shepherd elders feed the flock. They not only protect the flock, but they feed the flock. All, all New Testament elders were required to be able to teach. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. This verse, of course, contains other qualifications, and that's going to be another message in this short series. Who's qualified to be an elder? But it says, therefore, an overseer, there they go using those words interchangeably again, elder and overseer. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. So an elder must be able to teach. Listing elder qualifications in his letter to Titus, Paul says in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. There's teaching, feeding the flock, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So he's got to be able to give instruction, good instruction in sound doctrine. And then over in 1 Timothy 5, Paul writes about the elders who labor at preaching and teaching. There almost seems to be a, you know, an, an elevation of this ministry among the, in the eldership. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So true biblical elders teach the word of God in a variety of settings that feeds the flock. It feeds the flock. That's how, we, that's, that's how elders feed the flock of God, by teaching sound doctrine, by teaching the word of God well, communicating the, the teachings of Scripture to the flock. Now, not every elder will preach from the pulpit, but some will, as is evidence from, from this passage, from 1 Peter 5. Some have this labor of preaching and teaching, but not all of them do. Um, some are even given wages for preaching and teaching. Others are not. Some elders are better at ruling and, or leading, while others are better at preaching and teaching. But all of them must be able to give instruction in sound doctrine in some way, in some fashion, in some form. It might be in the venue of a, of a Sunday school class or a, a small group or even one-on-one -on -one discipling. But every elder must be able to teach. It doesn't say that every elder is teaching every Sunday or every Wednesday night, but they, they must be able. They must have the aptitude for teaching. Why? Because part of the ministry of elders is feeding the flock. 
And I'm not just talking about pizza and the pie lady's cinnamon buns. We're talking about feeding them the word of God, as important as pizza and the pie lady's cinnamon buns are. It's more important to feed the flock with the teaching of Scripture. So elders protect the flock, and they feed the flock, but they also lead the flock. Shepherd elders lead the flock. In biblical language, to, to shepherd a nation or, or any group of people means to lead them. That's what it means, to shepherd, to lead them or govern them. And that's what we see in this first and second Samuel chapter 5. So to shepherd a local church then means, among other things, to humbly lead that church, to humbly lead that church in the direction that God wants that church to go. That's the role and responsibility of elders. So you, you can't discern that, you can't learn that by, by just meeting together once a month, you know, from 7 to 10. It takes much more than that for the elders of the church to, to discern where God wants the church to go and lead the church in that direction. Remember this verse from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. So what is, what is ruling if it's not leading? That's what it is, leading. Elders protect and feed the flock, yes, but they're also given responsibility by God to rule or to lead the church. They're to direct it, to govern it, to manage it, to, to, to in other words, to, to care for the flock. That's just what they do. Elders are leaders in the local church, and, 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 and because of that, they should be honored for their ministry by the church family. And there's one more aspect of the ministry of elders that we want to cover this morning. Shepherd elders help to meet the flock's many practical needs. In addition to the familiar, broader categories of, of protecting the flock and, and feeding the flock and leading the flock, the elders have this uh, broader responsibility of making sure that the practical needs of the flock are cared for. They might not end up doing it all themselves, but they, they're the ones who need to make sure that it's happening, that it's being done. For example, James instructs the people who are ill, people who are sick in the church, to, to, to call for the elders of the church. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So they, they care for the sick. They look after the sick. Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders also to care for the weak and the needy. Acts 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. So there are all kinds of practical ways, practical needs that, that, that come up in a local church, and we've experienced that. Um, just a couple of days ago, Derek Knight messenger had a massive stroke and Stephen is our intern who works with our our youth and uh, so we heard uh, very early on very quickly heard that uh, Derek had had a stroke and he was in the hospital uh, and they just weren't sure which way it was going to go and I thought oh no Friday I've got this these this mission team coming from North Carolina how in the world am I going to look after that and look after this, and there was just too much on my plate. So I sent out an urgent distress call 
to a bunch of other people in the gathering and said, hey, could you help us look after this? This is a very practical need in our church. I need help in looking after this family. And I'm very glad to say that there were many willing people who went to the hospital and, and, and visited and prayed over Derek and shared scripture with Derek. And some had an opportunity to meet with the family and Linda and Stephen and Andrew and the whole family, girlfriends and wives and, and even the nurses are just kind of blown away with the level of care. And, and that's the way it ought to be. But elders are... are, are responsible overall for that kind of ministry. Uh, Even if they don't do it all, they're responsible for it. Some of the needs were delegated to others, like we see in Acts chapter 6. Let me just take you there quickly for a moment. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Now, of course, that ended with the first century, and there has been no rumbling... No grumbling, no rumbling of discontent in any church since that day. (laughs) Yeah. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So you're going, okay, well, but it's a practical need, right? And it was an important one. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. So many people, many scholars see this as the establishment of yet another a set of officers or another ministry in the church uh, called the diaconate or the deacons and deaconesses. Uh, that, that, that group in the church that's, that's primarily responsible under the elders for looking after many of the practical needs of the local church. But it's clear that the apostles delegated some of the practical work to other servants in the church so that they could focus on the priorities of prayer and teaching the word. And right about now, some of you are asking yourselves, as you look off into space and not into my eyes, who in the world has time for this? Who in the world has time to protect the flock and and feed the flock and lead the flock and look after all of these practical needs? Who has time for that? That's That's why we hire pastors to do this. Let me just cut to the chase and say this to you. Biblical eldership requires hard work and sacrifice. It it just does. The New Testament doesn't really know anything of the modern day board of elders that meets once a month for a couple hours and tries to decide on the direction of the church. You know, plumbers and lawyers and electricians and laborers and Uh, nurses and doctors getting together to talk three hours once a month about stuff that they're not trained in, they don't, you know. So it requires a lot more than a monthly meeting. It requires sacrifice and it requires hard work and it requires learning together as, as a council of elders how to look after the flock of God. Biblical eldership cannot exist in an atmosphere of nominal Christianity.
I haven't forgotten what I want to say next. I'm just letting this sink in. And I'm not trying to be harsh, but I really am personally, absolutely, fully, completely, and forever done with elder boards that just meet together on occasion to rubber stamp financial statements. That is not what biblical eldership is about. Biblical eldership is about caring for the flock of God and protecting the flock of God and feeding the flock of God and leading the flock of God as godly men who are absolutely committed to a goal that is much bigger and much greater than themselves. So if biblical eldership is is to function effectively, it requires men who are firmly committed to living out the principles of New Testament discipleship on a daily basis, taking up their cross and dying to self. That's what it takes. Biblical eldership is is dependent on men who are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Biblical eldership requires men who who are empty of self, and full of the Holy Spirit. And you know, you know from your own walk with God that that's, that's a daily thing. Empty of self and full of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time thing. So we come under the tap, we come under the, the conduit of God's Spirit on a regular daily basis. Lord, fill me again. I empty myself, fill me with Jesus. Fill me with the Spirit. That's the kind of, that's the kind of people we need to serve as elders in our church. And, and I, for one, am willing to hold out. I'm willing to hold out. If we have to go another month or another six or another year, and, and we will wait for God to move the hearts of men. We can't be in a rush to appoint elders quickly. There's too much at stake. There's there's just way too much riding on this, folks. We've got to get it right. Now, some people might say, well, pastor, that's very nice. And you're teaching from the scriptures, and that's nice. It's just, and you're so nice, and everything's nice. But honestly, pastor, you can't expect men to work you know, to provide for their families, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week and, and look after things at home, cut the grass and paint the shed, do all that. And on top of all that, shepherd the, the church, be elders like you're describing. You can't expect that. Yes, we can. And we should expect that. Folks, we should expect that because it's happening, it's happening all over the place in all kinds of churches where this, this model of biblical eldership is, is, is held up as the ideal, as the goal. That's the goal. Biblical eldership is the goal. And I'll, I'll tell you, in, in, in so, many, so many of the churches that I've visited where biblical eldership really is, is functioning like this, it, it's positively amazing how much people can accomplish when they're motivated to work toward a goal they love. And so if we love the local church, 
because we love Jesus, we love his bride, and we love this goal of, of biblical eldership, we will sacrifice and we will do what we have to do to attain that goal of biblical eldership and, and hold it up as a prize, as a jewel, and say, this is what the church ought to be. This is how the church ought to function. This is how the church ought to be fed. This is how the church ought to be led. By godly, consecrated, committed, dedicated people who, who love this goal more than they love their own lives. That's what I think we should hold out for. Are you with me? Okay. It's kind of a scary journey, and I sure don't want to be on it all by myself. <laughs> so let's trust God to raise up biblically qualified, highly motivated, self-sacrificing, spirit-driven, gospel-centered men to shepherd the gathering. You with me? Okay, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, Abba, Father, you have walked with us through this entire letter of 1 Peter, one paragraph at a time. And all along the way, you've, you've taught us what it means to be full of hope in the midst of pain and suffering and disappointment and injustice and heartache. But Lord, every day, every single day that we walk with you in the word, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to make it real and, and, and just to help us to apply what we're learning from 1 Peter. And, and today, as we spoke about biblical eldership rising out of 1 Peter chapter 5, we quickly became aware of the high and holy calling that it is to serve as an elder in your church. Lord, your will for our lives, your will for our church is above all else. We want that more than we want anything. So come, Holy Spirit of God. Mold us. Make us more like Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We want to live like Jesus. We want our church to be led by Jesus and his faithful, qualified under-shepherds whose lives reflect his life. Because this is the life we've chosen. This is the life you've called us to. Jesus is the rock we stand on. He is the strength that we claim today and every day. And it's true, Lord. The cry of our hearts is to bring you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.